Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to 31 Days of Terror 2023, day number 15. And I have one story for you today, and today's story comes from Erica. Demons are and have been a controversial topic on the podcast. I know that many people do believe in the demonic as part of their religion, Christianity primarily. And while I have come to believe that most demonic stories can be explained away as mental health issues... Even as a new sceptic, I can't seem to shake these creatures from my curiosity. While it's easy to excuse them away, the overwhelming amount of experiences that people seem to have can't all be mental health issues, can they? And what about God and ghosts? I don't have answers, but I do have my story. The supernatural has been an essential part of my life from a very early age and has only become an even deeper part of my life as I have gotten older. From a young age I could sense spirits, I could sense or feel other people's emotions, and even have dreams of things that would eventually come true. I've experienced many accounts of the supernatural, some truly beautiful and inexplicable moments that I cherish. But I would be remiss if I didn't share that not all experiences have been pleasant. I was raised in the deep south of Alabama, where evangelical Christianity reigns. From a very early age, I had a deep belief in God and Jesus. That faith over time turned into a deep and fervent practice of the evangelical faith. However, because these gifts or abilities regarding feeling, hearing and sometimes seeing spirits were not considered abilities from God, but rather the working of the devil, I had to hide most of what was happening to me. Everything, and I mean everything apart from my answered prayers and the occasional acceptance of dreams I could interpret, was considered to be a demon playing tricks or trying to use me to do the devil's bidding. There was dogmatic messaging that the devil or Satan was on a mission to drag as many souls to hell with him, as hell was supposedly designed for him, not a place to be ruled. I became a true Christian when I was 14 after a crazy supernatural experience that I can't really explain to this day. I've been really wrestling with the idea of salvation from hell and whether or not I was a true Christian, if I really was saved. I went to a small, private Christian school that was actually run by my church. With all this emotional and spiritual turmoil and worry, I was finally fed up and ready to have an answer to this war that was raging inside of me. I was sitting in a chapel service and in my heart and head I blurted out a prayer, a plea to God and asked, God, just tell me, am I saved or not? And in this very powerful voice I heard in my head, You are not mine. 
It gave me goosebumps and I looked around the room to see if anyone else had heard this voice. This voice that was indescribable. No one else seemed to hear anything and as I looked around at my peers I saw faces of boredom, of interest in the gospel message that was being preached and even a few faces who were whispering and laughing together. My heart raced and in a split second I felt in my gut that I was being pulled to say the sinner's prayer with the pastor after the chapel message. I did not take this voice's message to be saying that God did not want me, but that at the moment I was not a child of God and that I needed to repent and ask Jesus into my heart and be filled with the Holy Spirit, as is the true mark of a Christian. In the days that followed this experience, I was a new person. I was only 14, but everything about me changed. My whole perspective on things changed and even my parents noticed I was no longer this moody, depressed girl, but I had something to live for and, as time went on, to obsess over. With this newfound faith, I found myself gorging myself on scripture daily, keeping a daily prayer journal, fasting once a week to pray for the salvation of my classmates. It felt as if the Holy Spirit had indeed come into my heart and united with my spirit. My gifts, however, did not go away. When I talked to a pastor about them, I was met with a message of caution. It was said that those abilities were from my old father, the devil, but that my new father, the Christian God, would redeem them into what is called spiritual gifts. And so, as time went on, I gained a reputation for being on fire for the Lord. I was also noted to have the spiritual gifts of wisdom and discernment, Another way of saying that I knew things that maybe I shouldn't have known and understood things on a deep spiritual level. When it came to interpreting dreams and having dreams come true, this gift was a little controversial. Some were scared of this ability and warned me not to give in to them and some felt like it was a perfectly godly and biblical gift to have. That's being Southern Evangelical Baptist for you. From 14 until my late 20s, I had this reputation for being a strong instrument for God to use and as I led other peers and even adults into salvation. I felt like I was fulfilling some deep and even grand purpose. I was humbled by this belief and eager to simply be a servant and to make the world a better place. In high school and beyond, I spoke at different churches, wrote and led Bible studies, read my Bible every day, kept a prayer journal, fasted once a week, all of which I mentioned earlier. Yet, while I did most of these acts of spiritual devotion out of a deep love for God and Jesus, in retrospect there was no denying that there was a powerful undercurrent of fear. Fear that the real me, the one with these gifts, the me who saw the shadows and the spirits and knew things I shouldn't have known, that I, despite all of my faith in God and Jesus, just couldn't break free from the devil and that he, or a demon, was haunting me. Despite my faithfulness and even the oft reprieve of fear and a deep sense of peace that would alight my soul and mind, there was a constant pull inside of me that something wasn't quite right. That I wasn't quite right. Never mind, and God forbid, my deep and taboo fascination with magic, ghosts and even premonitions. I had to keep all of these hidden away and locked away to survive emotionally, mentally and in a way spiritually in my family and community. I had to keep all of these things suppressed to be pleasing to God and to be good and a faithful Christian, which was my deepest and ultimate desire. 
The conflict, however, with these abilities I couldn't seem to control and the messaging I got from the church and family and my culture caused cognitive dissonance frequently. I constantly felt like I was fighting a spiritual battle against demons who were attracted to me because of my purpose to bring others into salvation and my devotion to God. The idea was that these demons hated me and wanted to scare me and shake my faith. So when things began to happen, this was the reasoning I clung to. And at this point, I clung to this explanation to help me understand a small series of traumatic spiritual events that happened in childhood. So let's backtrack a little. From a young age, I saw shadow people. I felt the presence of beings and entities. Until I became involved and programmed by the church about demons, I just thought it was normal to sense people who had passed on. Little poltergeist things would happen. The TV would turn on as I passed by. My mattress ended up on the floor once, but those things didn't really bother me. I just knew that I wasn't alone, and that actually gave me some comfort as I was a fairly lonely and sad child. When I was nine, however, scarier things began to happen. I hadn't really been exposed to the ideology of demons yet, but in my gut I felt like this new presence I was feeling was wrong somehow. It wasn't comforting like the other presences. This was different, thicker, even sinister. Things began to happen. I began to be woken up at around 3am to my bedroom closet door shaking. I felt things watching me in the darkness. I felt like I was being followed and watched in my house, and only in my house, constantly. Something was building up. I could feel it. And then, it happened. It had been a year of this entity, whatever it was, bothering me. But for a few weeks, things seemed to ease up. I wasn't feeling watched anymore. I wasn't seeing shadows out of the corner of my eyes. I started to settle into comfort and peace, and even a little bit of bravery. I'd begun waking up at around 3am each night to go to the kitchen to get water. I remember even being surprised at my own bravery of navigating the darkened house after having survived the fear I had been living in for a year. From my bedroom door I entered a short hallway that took a left turn into another portion of the hallway which led straight into the kitchen. I walked this path in a mostly dark but not pitch black house for a couple of weeks without incident. One night, however, I saw something that I will never forget. Ever. I exited my bedroom, leaving the door a bit ajar as usual to have a little bit of light guiding my path. I walked down the short hallway, thinking about nothing really. Then I turned to the corner and I stopped dead in my tracks. Standing or floating in front of me was this horrific being. The first thing I noticed was its substance. It wasn't solid, but seemed to be made of static electricity, like the TV static that would come on around midnight on certain cable TV channels. My eyes then made startling eye contact with the entity and I took in its monstrous face. The eyes were large, with dominating black pupils that seemed to stare into my eyes with intense recognition. Its short hair raged wildly in the air, and worse, its smile from ear to ear revealed too many razor-sharp teeth. I stared, and I blinked. He was still there, smiling and grinning. I couldn't move. I wanted to move, but I didn't know what would happen if I turned my back. 
Then slowly it lifted its hand and gently waved its long fingers at me as its smile widened even more than should have been possible. I turned and ran probably three huge steps to the bedroom door, which was now completely closed. I jiggled the handle open and before I knew it, the doors closed behind me as I leapt onto the bed. I had chills coursing through my body. My chest felt tight and all I could do was stare at the door and wait for it to come in. I waited and waited, staring at the door as I pushed myself against the wall that touched my bed. I waited and waited and breathed until light came peeking through my bedroom windows. I never felt safe in a dark hallway again. After this encounter, I developed obsessive-compulsive behaviours. To this day, as a 30-year-old woman 20 years later, I still cannot walk along a dark hallway. I cannot turn quickly down a hallway. I must slowly peek around the corner. I must turn hallway lights off and on in a specific order so as to avoid ever seeing that being again. The feelings of being watched never really stopped, and I knew that thing was never far from me. In my teens and after my conversion experience that I discussed earlier, I looked back on this experience with a new lens. I now had a name for what I saw, a demon, and I had some sort of explanation. It maybe knew who I would become for God and wanted to terrorise me while it could, maybe even prevent me from becoming that very vessel for God. These beliefs of God's purpose for me emboldened me to be more confrontational with what I believed at the time to be demons. When I was 16 I had a dear friend who was struggling with her faith, constantly questioning if she was truly saved, if she was truly a child of God. These doubts filled her with distress so much to the point where she could barely function. In my gut, I felt like she was being suppressed or taunted by a demonic presence and felt compelled to step in as she had come to me multiple times to pray with her and to comfort her. It was a Sunday evening and we were sitting together during the church service. She became disturbed and then upset and began to cry quietly. I took her by the hand and then we quietly went over to our Sunday school teacher. I said that we needed to talk to my friend and pray over her in private. My teacher agreed and she took us into a room further into the church, away from the auditorium. Another friend tagged along who, in truth, was being nosy. We sat in the room, talking and hearing my friend's concerns and sadness and just utter devastation at not knowing for sure if she was truly saved. It had gotten late and almost everyone had cleared out of the church. There was just my Sunday school teacher's husband and one other student left, but they remained in the auditorium, quite a long way from where we were meeting. We decided that my friend's feelings were not from God as we believed that this confusion is not something God's Holy Spirit creates within a person. We all felt like something darker was at work, and so we felt like the most powerful thing we could do for my friend was to pray over her. As we began praying, I felt like I needed to call out to whatever entity this was and to command it to leave in Jesus' name. I said, You demon are not welcome here. Evil has to leave now. She belongs to Jesus and you have no power here. You have no power over her soul. Our God is stronger than you and you have to leave. I bind you from having any power over her. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And then in my right ear, I heard a sinister, inhuman hiss. The hair on my arm stood up, but I knew I had to keep praying and calling on God's power to get this thing away from my friend. 
We went around the circle, praying fervently together, and finally, when the last person prayed, we all lifted our heads and looked at each other, exchanging frightened glances. My friend, our Sunday school teacher, and myself, all at the same time, asked, Did you hear that? There was fear in our voices, even in mine, after I had boldly commanded this demon to leave. We began to immediately and with urgency talk about what we each had heard. All of us had heard a hiss in our right ear. All of us except for the nosy friend who hadn't really even been invested in praying or even helping my friend. She was confused, asking what we had heard and wondering why she hadn't heard it. We could hardly speak full sentences. As we left the room quickly, we saw that the lights were off and everyone was gone. The church was still. We made our way to the auditorium and my teacher's husband and our friend, who was waiting, were just talking casually. They clearly had no idea what we had witnessed. That was a moment that impacted the three of us forever. But after that night, my friend felt her faith strengthen. She was no longer struggling with her doubts and she felt at peace. For weeks after this event, I woke up every night at 3.30 or 3.33 with sleep paralysis. While I now know there is a scientific explanation for sleep paralysis, I can't help but wonder if entities somehow take advantage of this state between being mentally awake and your body being asleep. Like maybe that in-between state of consciousness gives them opportunities to be seen. At the time, I didn't know about sleep paralysis and felt very strongly that I was being oppressed by the entity I had bound for my friend. It was constant and I even began to waver in my faith. One night I felt the room get cold and my hair was standing up on end. I felt like I was being watched and that whatever it was was very angry. I felt threatened. I called my dad on the cell phone, too scared to yell for him for fear of giving this thing energy. I asked my dad to come into the room and pray over me. I felt like I needed spiritual support from him because my faith was shaken due to all the darkness I felt around me. I felt targeted. He came into the room a little annoyed, asking what on earth I wanted. Then I told him I felt scared, like something was in the room with me. I told him about what happened with my friend, and that I had been waking up every night at 3.33 to sleep paralysis, and that I needed him to pray over me, and to intercede for me to get God and Jesus to help me. He begrudgingly agreed. As he prayed, I got goosebumps, and the hair on my arms raised yet again. I felt pressure surrounding me, as tears of pleading for God's intervention streamed down my cheeks. My dad paused. He cleared his throat and tried to continue. Finally, he was able to continue and end his prayer. When he said amen, it felt like all the pressure around me released and flew off of me, out of the room. I could almost see this shadow fly out of the house. When my dad was done praying, he looked me in the eye and he whispered, I felt it too. He showed me his arm that bore goosebumps as well. The air felt thinner now though. I felt warmth and I felt what I believed was the presence of God. At this point I'd like to say that I experienced many more moments like this even into my mid-twenties. I'd begun attending college and my beliefs around my faith began to shift a little, as is natural when one is taken out of a bubble of beliefs and an echo chamber of doctrine. I still read my Bible and journaled daily. I still led Bible studies and even led worship in a praise band on my college campus. Yet, with an exposure to people who thought completely differently to me, 
I began to feel like God wasn't actually as strict or black and white as I'd been raised to believe. I began to cautiously explore my long-abandoned gifts of sensing spirits and even communicating with them. I began to open myself up more to the spirit world, so to speak, while still maintaining my relationship with God as a Christian. Slowly I began to feel like I'd been radicalised to an extent and wanted to find the real me beneath all of the teachings and doctrine and dogma that had been forced on me and absorbed so deeply. I started to feel more free to do things that I had refused to do before, like watch scary movies. It had been purported that certain movies allowed for demonic spirits to enter one's home and life, that by entertaining these stories we were giving these dark entities permission to wreak havoc. I had almost discarded this idea and began to slowly give in to my interest in the paranormal, an interest I hadn't given into since before I was a Christian. When the Conjuring movie came out, and I'd watched it, I began to feel a different oppressive presence. But I tried to ignore it, thinking that it was just my imagination. I was up at around 11pm playing a video game when I felt something staring at me and saw something move out of the corner of my eye on the floor below. I turned to look, expecting to see one of my parents' chihuahuas, but was struck with fear when I saw a greenish, putrid face, with eyes wide and a crooked smile staring up at me. Its body was curled underneath it, but it simply stared at me, smiling, and remained completely still. I didn't even turn off my game, I went straight to my room and began reading my Bible, but I still felt the heaviness. And again, just like I had done as a teen, I called my dad to pray over me. He obliged, more amused this time than anything, because he knew the movie had freaked me out. But again, when he prayed over me, we got chills and felt the air thin out becoming more peaceful. When we were done praying, he cleared his throat and said, You've got to be more careful. You are more sensitive to this stuff than most people. He hugged me tight and then went to bed. I got married to my first husband and we experienced quite a bit of supernatural experiences together. He saw three figures of different heights wearing hooded robes circled around our peach tree, which had been struck by lightning twice. They were there for a few seconds and then disappeared. I felt breathing on my neck one time while I felt like something dark was standing right behind me. I even cast out another entity through prayer that was upsetting my dog. I heard a disembodied whistle once while I was alone in the house and we heard footsteps at night sometimes. He was a pastor and I was a faithful pastor's wife. After college and before we got married, I had reeled back on my gifts and tried to go back to the more black and white thinking but I really began to wonder about certain beliefs, certain stories in the Bible, certain things Christians would use the Bible to justify. But I fought against all these doubts because I had faith in God. I'd seen the power of Jesus' name make a difference and I clung to that, despite the red flags I'd begun to notice about the Christian faith that I had subscribed to. Not to mention that I couldn't reconcile my spiritual gifts and even a couple mediumship experiences with the doctrine I had been told was the only right doctrine. Things sadly ended with my first husband four years ago, but the paranormal experiences we had together confirmed my ties to the supernatural. Before I continue, I want to get it out here that I do not hate Christianity. I respect the beliefs and the cultures, but I no longer subscribe to any of them. As time has gone on over the last few years, my beliefs politically, religiously and regarding mental health have, for lack of a better word, radically changed. 
I fully deconstructed my beliefs as a Christian and no longer consider myself a Christian even remotely. I hold those years dear because my faith got me through some extremely hard and traumatic circumstances, but my conscience no longer permits me to welcome certain beliefs, doctrine and theology. I now identify as a spiritual atheist. I believe in an omniscient, all-loving, universal consciousness that can be accessed and can have power in the lives of us mortals through mindfulness. But I do not believe this consciousness to be all-powerful. It is not a god. Those beliefs just don't align anymore and I'm okay with that. I'm really, really happy. I feel free. I don't feel like I'm constantly fighting a battle with darkness. I get to embrace myself and my gifts fully without shame. It's nice to feel seen and loved without a prerequisite to believe things a certain way. I've discarded what I now consider to be harmful ideas that practically controlled my mind and my way of living for the majority of my life. I have discarded ideas like demons and hell. Again, if you believe in these things, I'm not knocking you. I just don't accept them any longer in my personal belief system. So where do I stand with my demonic experiences now that I've fully deconstructed my Christian belief and no longer subscribe to a belief in demons in the Christian way? The truth is, I don't know where I stand. I don't know how to explain what happened to me through this lens, which I now view the world and the paranormal. With my current beliefs, I have the joy and freedom of reconciling my gifts of mediumship, tower reading, premonition dreams and sensing spirits with an understanding that these things aren't evil or bad. They aren't tools of the devil. They are just experiences that I get to have, that I believe anyone can have in the right circumstances. I feel free and happy to use them and explore them and learn more about them. I have even helped many people through mediumship and tarot readings. With all of this fresh joy surrounding the supernatural life of acceptance I now lead, there still remains a lingering question. With my new beliefs, while I can reconcile my lifelong gifts that were once demonised, I don't know how to explain or reconcile the demonic experiences I had. I don't know how to reconcile them with what I hold to be true now. I don't know what those things I saw and heard and felt actually were. And maybe some Christians will argue that those experiences are proof of the rhetoric of the Christian God and the devil, but I just don't feel like that's right. Now, at 30 years old, I look back at my life growing up in the Deep South. I look back at my time as a fervent and faithful Southern Baptist Christian. I look back at the culture and the deep communal beliefs of demons, angels, hell, Jesus and God. I look back at the three years I spent deconstructing everything I absorbed in the spiritual culture in which I was raised. Congruently, I'm thankful for the journey of deconstruction that has led me to be the powerful, kind and open-minded person I am today. The path that led me to accepting and using my gifts that were pushed away for so long. Maybe I'll never know what those things truly were. Were they spirits that are attached to the religion somehow created by the collective belief in them? Were they something else entirely? Were they just low vibrational beings seeking light in a dark realm? Maybe demons are real, but we just don't fully understand them. I struggle with wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater when teasing out my old beliefs and the new ones. I don't know what they were, and I think it's okay not to know. Even if my curiosity gets aroused once in a while, I may never know what they were. But I'm glad that these experiences have given me insight and empathy to shape who I am today. 
I'd like to share one more spooky story from my ex-husband, who is okay that I share this. When he was living at home in the countryside of Tennessee, we had an experience with what he felt was a malevolent spirit. He was asleep, but was woken up by feeling something tickle his cheek. When he opened his eyes, he saw a woman hovering over him, her hair draped down and brushed against his cheek. The woman was wearing a white gown and had long, dark hair, bloodshot eyes and a snarled lip. He stared as she hovered growling at him. He quickly pulled the blanket over his face and still heard her growl. After a couple of minutes, he looked out from under his blanket and she was gone. A few years later, his younger brother saw a figure standing in the doorway to the bedroom that he shared with his parents. He sat up and tugged at his mom and said, Mom, do you see her? She's standing in the doorway. She responded that no, she didn't see anything. He said that she was just standing there wearing a white dress with long hair and that she was looking into the room. This scared his mom, but he calmly said, I think she's an angel because she's wearing white. The figure stood in the doorway for about another minute before slowly turning and walking down the hall. Now, what makes this story a little scary for my then-husband and me is that his little brother's vision is not very good. He can't see details at all, but he can see figures and make out shapes. When we heard this story, both of our stomachs dropped and we looked at each other, but we didn't say anything. When we got into the car to leave, it was evident that we were both thinking the same thing. The figure he had seen was so similar to what my ex had seen a few years before. We were afraid, and relieved too, that because of his brother's vision, he was unable to see the true and frightening face of the woman. We never mentioned our suspicion that the being was no angel. Instead, we prayed over the house. But I never felt like the house was completely spiritually safe. And today I wonder what exactly that being was. If she was the same woman that maliciously frightened my ex, or if she was indeed an angel. I am actually going to add very little to this story by way of commentary because I've not had this experience of growing up in an evangelical church in the deep south of America. So I don't know what that feels like to feel like you are being, your whole world is consumed by religion and worrying about religion all the time and worrying about your faith and worrying about God and worrying about whether or not you were going to find salvation. It honestly, this from based on this story, it sounds like it was really exhausting for, for you, Erica, and for some of your friends too, to constantly be worrying and thinking about this. What I do think is really interesting about your story is that all these years later, now that you've sort of moved away from Christianity, you haven't just gone, well, those things didn't happen. Actually, maybe the label has changed. Maybe that's the important thing, is that the label has changed. I also want to reiterate what Erica has said in this, and that is that there is no judgment of Christianity in this podcast. I have people in my family, people in my life who I love dearly and are very important to me who are evangelical Christians. I have people in my life who I love dearly who are still practicing Catholics. I'm not here to judge anybody's faith, anybody's religion, but there has to be recognition, I think, sometimes that I might not believe the same things that you believe, but I will respect your right to have those beliefs. I might not agree with some of the church teachings in various Christian churches or Catholic churches or Protestant churches, whatever it is. I may not agree with the teachings and beliefs, but I am not going to ridicule anybody's beliefs on this podcast. And I think this is a really interesting insight into somebody who was raised obviously in the deep south as an evangelical Christian and has eventually turned away from that and what that process was like. 
and I really enjoyed reading it and I really enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so much, Erica, for sending in your story. Remember, if you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.